Brandon. We're going to be in the fourth chapter of the Gospel of John today. And I'd like to say Happy Father's Day to the fathers out there today. Glad you're here. And today, we're going to be looking at the conversion and walking through the steps of a desperate father. So turn with me, if you would, please, to John 4, verse 46. And as you all are getting there, we had a couple of fathers actually go golfing yesterday. That was kind of cool to see some guys getting to go out and go golfing. And I always wondered why golfers take an extra pair of socks and I guess it's in case they get a hole in one it's Father's Day I'm going to tell a dad joke are you all there yet? did you all find it? because I got another one ready ready to go What we're going to see here is the conversion of a desperate father. We're going to see the process of conversion laid out here. See, we're going to see a little bit of faith, and then that faith is going to grow. It's going to take the next level, another step. Until then, it's going to grow some more and be made fully complete. So, you know what? Let's just go ahead and read Let's just read through this, the last nine verses in chapter 4 of John. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, this is Jesus, where he had made the water wine. That was his first recorded miracle. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So verse 48, so Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And the official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them, the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. And then verse 54, This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. So what we see here is the desperation on the part of a father. And I know that he's desperate because if we look back, we might even in the PowerPoint at verse 46, the word official there, the Greek word is basilikos. Now, why is that important? So in case you don't know, the original uh, text of the New Testament was written in Greek. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. And so that's why whenever you hear us say the Greek word is because there's so many translations. There's so many different versions. Uh, the 
NIV says royal official. The King James Version says nobleman or official. Uh, and, so, and so there's different translations to the original Greek word. But the reason why it's important is because the Greek word here is basilikos. And this word means more than just nobleman or royal official or just simply an official. This basilikos word implies that there's a connection to the king. That's what that means. And so what, what king was ruling at this time, do y'all? That's right. King Herod, Antipas. Now, was King Herod a good man? No. No way. King Herod ends up beheading John the Baptist because he didn't appreciate the message that John the Baptist was preaching, which was, hey, King Herod, it's not a cool idea for you to be taking your brother's wife. And so King Herod throws him in prison. Then after a wild night, we won't go into that, he decides, okay, I'm going to behead uh, John the Baptist. And so he feared Jesus because he actually thought that maybe Jesus was John the Baptist coming back from the dead to get him. So he feared Jesus and he wanted Jesus dead. And th so this is how we know that this Herodian official, this Roman royal official, where it just says official here, this is how we know that he was desperate. That why would he, given who he works for, why would he be seeking out Jesus? This is how we know that this father was desperate. And desperation pushes men. Desperation drives people to do whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. And in this case, whatever it took for him to get his son to be made well. Now before we move on very quickly, I want to say two things on verse 47. I'd just like to quickly remark on verse 47 here. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Now, Judea to Galilee is about 17, 18 miles. And you all understand that they're on foot. So Jesus has come from Judea to Galilee. And here's the kicker. It's not just 18 miles, but when you're going to Galilee... It's all uphill. And so he comes, seeks out Jesus. Jesus has just walked 18 miles uphill. And here's what the official says. And we know that because of the landscape. But also he says in verse 47, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son. For he was at the point of death. <laughs> kind of a tall favor to ask. And I don't see anywhere where it says that the Roman official was interested in being his disciple, interested in learning from him. He just said, hey, look, I need you to do this thing for me. He brought nothing to the table. And when I read this, I was thinking, this is the type of friend we have in Jesus. We should have sang that song today, maybe. What a friend we have in Jesus. Because you... Bring nothing to the table. I have nothing to offer Jesus. Only our worship 
and only our pleas for our needs to be met. And that is all. And as we see, Jesus not only heals his son physically, but he heals him spiritually. Not only that, but his whole household, as we have just read. This is the type of Savior that we worship, that we just got done singing to. And a second thing about verse 47. It says, when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee. How did he, have, how did he know of Jesus? How had he heard of Jesus? Well, we back up two chapters to chapter 2. In verse 23, there was the Passover feast. It was a Passover in Jerusalem. It was a huge, big event, okay? People from all over would come to Jerusalem for Passover. It was a huge deal. And in verse 23, it says, Now when he, Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. When they saw the signs he was doing. Verse 24, but Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. You see, he's doing miracles, he's performing signs and wonders, and even people outside of the Christian faith don't refute that Jesus was a miracle worker. There are secular writings about Jesus doing um, mysterious and wonderful things that, that have nothing to do with giving him glory as far as God goes. I mean, even in chapter 3, you look down and Nicodemus says, you are clearly able to do these signs because God is with you. So no one is disputing that he can do these things. And they heard that he was a miracle worker and believed that he could do this. But we look in verse 24 there. Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them. You see, their faith was partial. It was an incomplete faith. It was a, a faint belief. Yeah, I believe he can work miracles. He, maybe he's just a, a really good doctor. Maybe he's just, just a really good magician. And it's kind of like Mark 9. I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. It's just a partial belief. And so this Herodian official, this desperate father, believed that Jesus was a miracle worker. He believed in his works and nothing more than that at this point. But you see, this is, this is the starting place of faith. This is, the, this is the point where it starts. This is the first level. And so the first level of faith is the works. And so believe that answered prayer is actually the very work of God, and he alone deserves the glory. Verse 47 to 50, back in chapter 4. We read this again. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you, and, that, and the Greek word there is actually plural, meaning unless you all or you guys, unless you all see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. Jesus says to him, go, your son will live. You see, it's not chance. It's not coincidence when we have financial problems, when we have health problems. And so we go to the Lord in prayer, and then what happens? It just kind of seems to work out. 
See, we, we tend to forget, hey, we prayed about that. We've been praying about that. It wasn't some, some uh, uh, um, chance that it could happen or coincidence. Now, God does use natural means to get to a supernatural end. I believe that. But we must give credit to God and to God alone. Because he is our miracle worker. So if this is just partial faith, a faint belief, why would Jesus accommodate this kind of half, half-hearted faith? As John MacArthur puts it, because this is the starting point. This is the first level. This is the place where it starts, but it just better not be the place where it ends. Okay? C.S. Lewis wrote, God does not do parlor tricks. There's a purpose and a reason for every miracle that Jesus did and continues to do. There's a reason for the answer to prayer. And I hope that when we see answers to our prayer that it sparks a flicker of faith. So here in the text we have evidence that it's not necessarily the amount of faith but rather just simply the presence of it. Because God can grow, God can cultivate the faith. He can develop our faith. As we see, he has started to cultivate belief through simply answering this father's request. So, father's here today. We got fathers here today. When God answers and hears your prayer, how are we going to respond? I say, church, New Haven as a whole, how are we going to respond to the movement and the workings that God is doing in our body, in our congregation? When we see him directing and and working and maneuvering uh, people and programs, events, we see his fingerprints all over this. What is our response? Will our response be a strengthening of our faith, a growing of our faith? And growing of our faith into what? Well, this is just the starting point. When we believe and have faith in what God has done, that grows our faith into believing in what God has said. And where do we find what God has said? Oh, there you go. <laughs> I heard Bible. And then I see Julie. Yes. That is correct. Yes. I will give you a Snickers bar after the service. We look back here in verse 50. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. And now the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. So Jesus is not only a miracle worker now, he's a truth teller. You see, often throughout the Gospels, when Jesus was going to do a miraculous healing, he would go and meet the person face to face. He'd go physically touch the afflicted. But here he challenges the man to take him at his word. And so the man believes his word to be true, but more than that, he believes his word to be divine. And so now he believed his works, now he believes his word. Now we're on the second level of faith. Believe his words to be the very words of God, to be desired more than gold. And if you're familiar with the book of Psalms, that might strike a chapter Psalm chapter 19, starting in verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. 
The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And then verse 10, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. And then we also have... In 2 Timothy 3, we see that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So you see, we started, we started here, first level of, of belief. We started here with, with works. Yes, Jesus is a miracle worker. And now we're here. I believe that Jesus is a truth teller. I believe in the words, not just the works, but now the words. And you see what we're, you see what this is now. This is the process. This is the process of conversion being realized in this desperate father. When Jesus speaks, God speaks. This man took Jesus at his word. He believed the word and went his way. So, Listen, get beyond the works to the words. Why? Because the works have no saving power, but the word does. How will we respond to the promises of God found in his word? So I just want, I want to put this out there to you all, to New Haven here in general, to follow this father's example and take Jesus at his word, as we see in verse 50, and stand on the promises of God. Take this Father's example and stand on the promises of God. You believe Jesus, your son will be made well. And so he left. We believe in the works of God, but that's not enough. The belief is here. We believe that the word of God is true, but that's not enough. Picking up in verse 51... As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. Now the seventh hour, there's debate as to whether or not they're talking about Jewish time, which would have been, that would have been 1 p.m. or Roman time, that would have been 7 p.m. That's not the point. The point is, is that uh, he can corroborate that and, and know that that was attributed to Jesus. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. <laughs> and there it is. See, he believes and he himself believed. That's the emphatic pronoun that we have here. See, because remember, he already believed. He believed that he was a miracle worker and he believed in his words. And now in verse 53, you now have belief in the name of Jesus. And now his faith is complete and his faith is whole. Believe in Jesus, his person, to be the Son of God. That he is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. John 3, 16. For, who, for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in works, believes in words, no, believes in him, that he should not perish but have eternal life. So 
knowing that this is the type of friend we have in Jesus and just how capable and able he is to save, let me pose this question, this last one to you, which was, how are we going to respond to Jesus? How do we live our day to day if this is the Jesus that we have, that we, that, uh, that we proclaim? We should have boldness and confidence knowing that God is for us, so who? Oh, thank you. I, the boldness and confidence is overwhelming here. God is for us, so who can be against us? I proclaim that loudly and boldly with confidence. This unbelieving father became a believer along with his whole household because he turned to the only place where he could find hope, rest, and peace. He turned to the only one that he could truly cast his anxiety and his worry down. And I'll say this, this, this man's great authority, you see that he had great authority. I mean, he was a royal official. And so he's used to having a pretty good amount of authority. And not only his authority, but his loyalty to someone other than Jesus was all thrown aside. And it was of little consequence when he was at his most desperate time of need. And now through God-given desperation, he was driven to seek out Jesus and found much more than physical healing for his son because our God that we worship, our God that we just sang about, he is a God of abundance. He and his household believed and it was counted to them as righteousness. It's, it's really bizarre to think about. Y'all understand that Jesus' ministry lasted three years. And so he, he spent probably about 16 months here ministering, going all over, all over, and, except well, Tiberias. That was the one place he didn't visit. That was Herod's town. <laughs> yeah, that was the one spot he didn't go. But it's bizarre to think this Roman official comes and says, please heal my son for he is at the point of death. And then, what, just a handful of months later, Jesus is dying on the cross for him and his family's sins. He carries their cross for them. Jesus is worth walking uphill 18 miles, I'll tell you that. And so to pray that you would receive the gospel of Jesus, if you haven't, if you don't have it, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, praying that prayer for you and saying, Lord, open eyes, open ears and hearts, it's a powerful prayer. We gather on Saturday nights, and we, and we did that last night. We, we're praying for for non-believers. And it's also an uncomfortable prayer, to be honest. Because God will answer our prayers in the best way that he sees fit. And sometimes that just means no. Sometimes he says no, because that's, that's what's best. Sometimes he's working on us. I don't know. But I do know that it doesn't always equate to our comfort. When God answers prayer, it's not always rainbows and butterflies. It's not always to our liking or our preference. 
See, sometimes God will push us beyond our limit and bring us low for the sake of answering our prayer requests. And that is, see, sometimes we think we're going through such a hard time, but you might not even understand that actually God is answering your prayers in the way that he sees fit. It's best for you that he answers it in this way. And we don't have to understand it. Christianity is not the knowledge of Christianity, but it's the faith of Christianity. And so when it's hard and we're desperate, that could be God knowing that desperation drives people to Jesus, as we have just seen here. And when we are desperate, do we know how to be brought low? The Lord will bring us low so that we have no one else to turn to. And when we have Jesus, we will know how to be brought low, how to make it through these times of desperation. Because for the Christian... We know that Christ will give us strength and he will see us through. Philippians 4, this is Paul writing, and he says, Ha, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. I know how to deal with success. I know how to deal and handle God's blessing on my life. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret, and he's about to give you the answer to the secret. He's about to tell you the secret. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And here it is. A very popular verse. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4, verses 12 and 13. And I, and I don't mean to get all kind of you know, political. I don't want to veer off. But uh, I just finished this book by a pastor named Vody Bochum Jr. called uh, Fault Lines. And it's, it's, it's a pretty good read. And it's about evangelism in the time of social justice and all, and all the current social climate and political climate. I recommend it. And I'm just thinking, you want your social justice? We've got it right here. Start in chapter 1. We see Jesus saving fishermen, lowly fishermen. And then earlier in chapter 4, Jesus saves a woman with questionable values and morals. And then back then, you were either purely Jewish or you weren't. And this woman was of mixed race. And Jesus saves her. And now we see here at the end of chapter 4 this royal official who, from what I would guess up until now, oppressed the Jewish people. So he definitely was not Jewish. And we have all of this together and all of this up to here demonstrates that no matter income, no matter status, no matter race, no matter position, no matter gender, we are all equal and we all have the same level ground when we stand at the foot of the cross. Mm. Jesus, that's what I say, is the answer to a lot of this 
justice and injustice. It's my prayer that in your time of desperation, you would not be pushed to other alternatives, but rather you would be driven to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because there's no other comfort. There's no comfort outside of the gospel of Christ. I'll cast your cares on him, for he cares for you. As the ushers will come forward, we'll worship with our tithes and our offerings. And I just want to say, again, the gospel is needed every day. And I'll say this, for the Christian and non-Christian, obviously. But I need the truth of the gospel every day. I need to be reminded of that because it puts me in my place and it calibrates my mind and my spirit. The gospel of Jesus that he lived and died and rose again and is ever living and interceding on my behalf at the right hand of the Father, that's truth I need to be reminded of every day. So regardless of whether or not you have at some point put your faith in Jesus, I hope that you'll accept this gospel. If you have any questions, if you have any questions, or you want to critique or criticize, it's okay, I can take it. Come see me afterward. I'd love to talk with you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time of gathering. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God of abundance, Lord, that you see us in our time of desperation. And Lord, you are able, but not only that, Lord, you are able and willing because you are good. Father, I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you that you have sent your son to die in my place, to take the cross that I could never carry. And now, Lord, I stand before you because Jesus has clothed me in his righteousness. I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here that your spirit would tug, would convict you would draw men to you, Lord. Thank you for being our perfect heavenly example as for what a father should be. So we give you praise today in Jesus' mighty name. Amen, amen.